from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. I'm Cheryl Kennedy at the Library of Congress. Joining me is Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Charles Wright, who is the Library of Congress's 20th Poet Laureate Consultant in Poetry. My first question, Mr. Wright, is when did you first begin to read and write poetry? Well, of all strange things, it was when I was in the Army, um, serving in Italy in 1959. I read a poem that I that I really liked uh, in the location in which it was written uh, by a man named Ezra Pound, whom I'm sure the library is quite well aware of, um, out on Lake Garda, Sirmione Peninsula. It was a poem called Blandula Tenula Vagula. And uh, it really hit me. A, f- a friend of mine who is already writing poetry named Harold Schimmel had given me this selected poems of town and said, when you go out there, read this poem and out on the peninsula. And I did, and I was I was totally taken with it, you know. I said, and I think I said before, I, I tried to write prose, but... Uh, I couldn't tell a story, and here was something that didn't have a narrative line. It had an imagistic line from front to back or top to bottom. And so I said, gee. And so I, I read more of Pound and then sort of read more everybody I could get my hands on, which wasn't a lot in the uh, in the library at Camp uh, Pasalacqua in Verona. But uh, there were bookstores downtown that carried English language. But that's, that's when I started, when I was 23 years old. Which poets have been your greatest influence? Oh, that's tough. You know, every poet you read influences you. Uh, if it's only for five minutes or if it's, you know, for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. There's a time in your, in your writing life when every week you have a new favorite poet because that's the one you've read that week. And it can go from John Crow Ransom to Arthur Rimbaud to uh, whoever. My, I think the two, my two favorite poets would be Emily Dickinson and Gerard Manley Hopkins. What did you like about them? What resonated with you? Well, Emily Dickinson's um, content, her subject matter, what she wrote about, the uh, the kind of impossibility of transcending this ordinary life and knowing that that was impossible. Uh, And that struck a bell with me. Hopkins, I love the music of his poetry. I love the way he wrote, actually, and his his strange and uh, enthralling kind of metrics. And uh, he was a big influence on me for, for a while, I guess, Now, how have your Southern roots influenced your work? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I don't come out of the Southern narrative tradition, Um, but I uh, I am a Southerner, and so therefore, I guess I I have Southern roots in my poetry. Although I don't think it was it's necessary. I write a lot about East Tennessee and Western North Carolina. Uh, where I grew up, I did write about that. And um, 
I like being a Southerner. And so maybe that's had something to do with it. Um, but but I don't I don't really write on Southern themes as such. Well, you continue to be exceptionally prolific. What inspires you? What inspired me? Uh, oh, fear. Fear? Well, fear that I wouldn't get anything done. Um, I don't know. That I, find, I finally found something I could do, which is writing poetry. Whether I did it well or not, I've never known. But I could do it. And so that's what I did. I sort of didn't do anything else once I discovered poetry. I used to uh, play golf a lot, and I loved golf. I got to the point where when I would play golf, and I would, if I had a couple of bad shots by the second or third hole, I'd just forget about golf, and I'd be thinking about the poem <laughs> I was writing, which is not a good thing if you're on the golf. <laughs> but that's, I don't know why I'm so, so prolific. I just had to... I had nothing else to do, and so I sat down and wrote. Well, you obviously love words. I do like words. I like the music of words. I like the music of poetry. I like the music of language. Uh, and uh, since I have no capacity for music itself, although my mother was quite musical, and my first cousin, her brother's two boys... Johnny and Edgar Winter, who were quite famous in their day, the albino uh, rock and roll singers. And they, so there's been music all through my mother's family, but I, I didn't get any of it. I got my father's Austrian tone deafness. <laughs> <laughs> what was your reaction to being appointed Poet Laureate? Oh, fear again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, I... Uh, I don't really know. I said, well, I guess I, I guess I'd better do it, because uh, I've known people who did do it, and it was obviously doable, but I'm not really a public person, so there was, there was some skepticism on my part. Uh, but it's, it's gone all right, you know, and uh, so I'm, uh, I'm very happy <laughs> that I did so. Well, we're happy that you're Port Laureate. Well, thank you. What do you hope to accomplish during your tenure? I don't have any set schedule or any set uh, program. I hope to do the three or four things that I'm required to do as well as I can, and the, the readings seem to go okay, and then I have something around the 1st of March, and then I have the thing at the end of April. So I will try to do those as, as best I can. I've done a fundraiser, and uh, I'm sure Rob Cash will have something else for me to do, uh, before too long, and but I don't have I don't have a program. I just I just try to you know stay out of jail. I don't know. <laughs> well, I would think that you will inspire others to, if nothing else, uh, be more interested in knowing more about poetry. Well, I think I hope so. You know, um, it's been a lifesaver for me. Uh, and you have to read it seriously before it gets to you, it gets through to you. Because poetry, you know, is, is, is a language, is a kind of separate language. It's a language that, uh, how can I say, says less and means more. And so you have to 
the contracting of, of language into some kind of musical instrument uh, is, is really quite necessary, I think, no matter how extensive a musical play it has or how uh, sort of simple a musical play it has. I mean, the difference between William Carlos Williams and Gerard Manley Hopkins is, is gigantic. But they're both uh, great poets, you know, and Williams is quite, quite, quite spare, and Hopkins is quite lush. So, however you feel called to do it is how you should do it. Actually, you should try everything, you know. You should try everything if you're a young poet and see what see what you like. And if you don't like it, you you don't have to do it. I mean, you're not a bad person if you can't write poetry. It's okay. You're a retired professor at the. University of Virginia, is that what you taught your students? What lessons did you impart to them? Well, I don't know. Um, I taught mostly workshops, writing workshops, because the English department was so full of, of noted scholars in all the other fields that I really didn't have much else to do. I did teach a form and theory course for, for a while, which is the forms, various forms of poetry. And uh, I would try to get them to look very hard at what they were doing. That's all. I, I got, you know, I was very lucky because I had uh, wonderful graduate students and upper division students who always wanted to be in the class. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really have to impart anything to them. I could suggest things. Uh, if people are good, you don't teach them. They learn or they pick up stuff because they're, they're already on their way. Mm -hmm. People who are not good, you can talk around their poems. You can talk about the, what might be going wrong. You could, as Donald Bartholomew once said, you could teach them notions of the lousy. Uh, you can teach them prayer, and you can teach them uh, strict attention. Mm -hmm. Well, as an English professor, what is your opinion of today's young writers? Well, I'm a retired English professor and haven't been teaching for about five years, and so I don't really, I don't really know. I don't think they've read anything. That's the main problem. They don't read, uh, and that's what you have to do if you want to write poetry. As Theodore Oreskes said, "You want to write? There's the library. You got to go in and read." And that was what that was what I always that's what I always suggest to people because. They really don't read much. They read uh, current stuff and what's what's hip. But they've got to know everything. You know, you've got to know everything. I didn't know everything, but I, I tried, you know. I tried to read as much as I could. And so that's what I would try to impart to them. What role have libraries played in your life and work? Well, that's where all the books are. And uh, mm -hmm. so I would go in there and read some. I wasn't a great, uh, you know, library rat when I was in college, although I did spend a lot of time there. Mm -hmm. And uh, a library plays a huge role in any writer's life. That's just a fact. Because you, uh, you, you, go, you go to it for sustenance, yeah, you go to it for peace and quiet, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you go to it so you can... Uh, steal things from other poets where nobody can see you. <laughs> what, 
What changes have you noticed in the art of poetry during your career? Well, it's gone from when I first started from a very formal uh, approach to poetry, the new criticism, to, and after 50 years, to a sort of totally um, abstract and uh, non-formal view of it. Although any poet who's any good is formal in his own way. He writes, he writes his poems formally, but to the drum that he hears, not exactly the drum he's been given, uh, which is you know, received meters and received uh, structures and that sort of thing. So that's been the big, the big difference, is that it is loosened up, I think, for the better. And, uh, and if you're smart, you'll know all the other stuff, then you can do what you want to because you know what you're not doing. It's very important to know what you're not doing and why you're not doing it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, thanks for an enlightening conversation. Well, thank you, Cheryl. I look forward to your next visit at the library and hearing you play the instrument of words. The Sacred Harp, that's the voice. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.